Yeah, I need my sword, man. I got an electric one, but it's not quite the same thing. You know what I mean? Well, let's go to to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Let's take a look at the Scripture, what the Scripture lays out for us today, beginning in verse 9. It says, Now he arose early on the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and what your word declares, God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we come to this text of scripture today lord that you be glorified and magnified through the truth and god we ask that uh, lord you would anoint this time with your presence and with your spirit as we give you thanks in jesus name amen well anybody get a chance to read the footnote on that section of scripture how about this anybody got a nasb esv anything but a king james anybody missing the whole thing We have some interesting things that I want to discuss with us this morning that we have to be, uh, we have to be aware of. Nobody ever told me this stuff. So I went to, I went to uh, Bible college. Fortunately, I was in Bible college when I heard it. And I'm in Bible college and the the teacher at the time, his name was Mert Ashton. Uh, He he was, uh, he was kind of a neat professor that I had. He he would sit down when, when the pastor was reading scripture, and he sat down with the Nestle Allen Greek text, and he would read along with whoever was teaching in the Greek. But a pretty smart guy. And I think sometimes when I would come into class, he would um, be a little disappointed I wasn't sick that day. <laughs> you guys ever had students like that? You ever done Sunday school and you said, oh, Lord, please let them... Have a cold or something? Stay home? <laughs> that was me. And so every time we'd, we'd uh, be in class, I was the guy with all the questions. I want to understand. I want to know what it is you're, you're laying out for me. And Mert Ashton was the, the teacher in Bible college who first opened up my eyes to something called textual criticism. And this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time on it. And hopefully I'll be able to express to you why it's important and, and necessary. And also how we can know that the word of God is reliable and true and we can hold fast to it. However, as we work our way through, you may be faced with some things that you may not have heard before. But if you've been in college at all, any college, and you had any philosophy course, I guarantee you heard it. And we do a disservice in the church when we think we shouldn't tell people about it. When we're afraid, I I don't want to shake you up. I promise I'm going to step on some of your toes. Some of you be mad at me after today. I won't be mad at you though. It's okay, you can be angry. But when I come to these texts, there's primarily three of them in the entire Bible that are really affected by textual criticism and this happens to be one of them and i have the option when i come to it i can just say you know i'm just going to teach it but then i'm not being truthful with you am i i think 
we ought to be okay with, with telling the truth. Jesus said that he is the way, the and the right. So do we have to be afraid of the truth? No, because we know him. We don't have to be afraid of it. And so I want you to, I'm going to challenge you with some of the ideas. I want you to hang on. If you, after I do this, you go, holy cow, what in the world are you talking about? I didn't understand a thing he said. Come to me afterwards and say, look at me with that crazy look. And we'll sit down and, and try to figure out where, where I lost you. But hopefully, by the, by the end, we're going to understand fully what it is that Scripture is declaring to us. So if you have anything other than King James, the King James Bible is taken from just, just history. King James Bible is taken from the medieval text. The medieval text is also called the Byzantine text. Um, <coughs> it, it is... Uh, it was the oldest that we had at the time the King James was done. But you guys know we spend time in Israel, we dig, what happens? You find stuff, right? Well, let me just give you an example. Once upon a time, the critics said there was never such a man as Pilate. How come they don't say that no more? Yeah, we dug up a stone with his name on it. It's, it's kind of hard for a critic to say, there was never a Pilate, and you dig up a stone, and it says this stone was placed by Pilate, the procurator of Judea. Whoops, that's what the Bible said he was. Oh, so we're not going to argue that point no more. It's interesting, and, and a lot of times the finds, we're waiting for them to come. There's some really exciting finds that are being worked on right now. Exciting, exciting finds, including uh, finds of the textual nature. But they also found in Caesarea by the sea, uh, which is a place where Paul went and he spoke to uh, Agrippa, King Agrippa, you remember? And he, Agrippa had a couple of guests. Um, what was their name? F- Felix? What was his, his brother's wife he stole? What was her name? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. You guys look it up. It's in Acts. But the point is, he was kept, what did you say? Herodias? Is that right? I want to say Aquila, but it ain't Aquila. And it's not Priscilla, so <coughs> you guys look it up. That's a perfect reason not to believe everything I say. So, but here's the point. Paul was in prison at Caesarea by the sea. People say, there are never such a guy as Paul, and he never did none of that stuff. And then, digging around Caesarea by the sea, they found... Uh, a sister in a pit where they would put prisoners and inscribed on the wall. You ever been somewhere and you thought, you know, I'm just going to write my name on this tree? Yeah. Guess what they found? The equivalent of Paul was here. <laughs> and so they're like, wow, interesting finds are always occurring. So as the Bible is, was given to us, the oldest text that we had at one time were the Byzantine text. That's no longer uh, uh, valid. Now, we have much older text than the Byzantine text. So sometimes when you look in your Bible, you'll see a note. And the note in your Bible will say, this is not in the oldest manuscript. And you might say, because some people get really offended by that. They get offended and they're like, oh no, what does this mean? This, This is messing with the concept of inerrancy. No, it's not. Biblical inerrancy is the doctrine that says... That the autographs are absolutely without error. The autographs, the, the, the writings of the apostles. The books they put together without error. What happened after they wrote them? People started copying them. In fact, people started copying them like crazy. And what happened when people started copying them like crazy? We got something called variants. We got something called variants. Now, here's the part that they'll tell you in, in regular school <clears throat> that they don't explain to you so well. Let me give you the bad news. Okay? Bad news. New Testament has 138,162 words. You can count them later. But that's how many words are in the New Testament. How many variants do you think there are? That many? Anybody else got another guess? Half that many? Oh, don't be afraid. You won't get in trouble. It's one of the times you can talk in church. The truth is, there are 400, 
thousand textual variants in the New Testament text. Well, that's a lot, huh? And what you'll hear if you're not educated on the matter is that means every word could have three different possibilities. How can you trust anything that's sitting on your lap? It's full of errors. Have you ever heard that stuff before? And you go to different classes, different colleges. If you, if you happen to find yourself in North Carolina uh, State, you might find yourself in a class with a fellow named Bart Ehrman who will tell you that exact story. Exactly verbatim like that. You can't trust the Bible's full of myth, mythology. You need to, you need to scrap it. Those are the brutal facts. Now, anybody happy about hearing that so far this morning at church? I'm thinking I should have went somewhere else today. I can't believe I came here. This preacher don't even believe in the Bible. <sighs> okay, so don't, don't get lost yet. That's not the end. That's not the end. 400,000 variants, 138,162 words. Let me give you the real fact now. 99% of the 400,000 variants are non-translatable and don't matter to the text at all. You realize that we're moving the, the, the message in the New Testament is written into Koine Greek and it's being translated into everything else. Latin, Syriac, uh, and English. And as we translate some of those variants where a copyist wrote something down, a different stroke, they did a different, drew a letter a different way. 99% of the 400,000 are non-translatable. They don't make it into the English language. They don't change anything at all. You see how it's a little bit inflated? <coughs> So that means there's 4,000, right? So there's 4,000 real, 1% of the actual variables that, uh, that are in the text. So you have 1% that are there. 4,000 that are at least meaningful, meaning you could understand them. It would, it would maybe change uh, a word or it may change a concept that you're looking at. But of those 4,000, only half... Of those 4,000 are viable. What do I mean by half of them are viable? I mean half of them are problems in spelling and word order. In the Greek, a lot of times when you say a phrase, there can be as many as 18 different ways to say the same thing with different word order. You just, the words are in a different order. But if I look at this text and this text, and this text, the words are in a different order, they say the same thing, it's still a variant. But did it make any difference? It didn't change anything. I look at it and I go, oh, they, they spelled Bethlehem different. They spelled Jerusalem different. You guys ever looked at really old English books? You ever seen the trippy way they spell things? Sometimes you're reading it and you can still read it, but you're kind of surprised you can read it because you're like, wow, that doesn't really look that much like English, but apparently it is. Similar things. Non-viable variables. That means that it, they don't change anything. So now I've gone from 4,000 down to 2,000. Actually, it's a little less than 2,000. Somewhere between 1,500 and, and 2,000 that are, are not of that. They're 1,500 to 2,000 viable variants that we have in the scriptures. Well, that's a different story than 400,000 with 132,162 words. Now you got 1,500 to 2,000. Oh, oh, let me help you a little bit. The more copies you have, the more variants you have. Now, for example, what would happen if wherever they keep the, the, the Declaration of Independence... That the museum or the, 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 what do they call it? The, yeah, okay. You guys all had three different things to tell me. <laughs> so, wherever they got it, it got, it blew up. Oh no, the Declaration of Independence is gone. Are we going to panic? Oh, we don't know what it said. How come we're not going to panic? Are there other copies of the Declaration of Independence? Are we pretty sure because of all the copies we got of the Declaration of Independence, we know what it says? Yeah. 
Now, notice I didn't use the Bill of Rights. Yeah, and, and there's certain things we don't tend to read or care about. <laughs> well, some people do, but obviously a lot of other people don't. But, Declaration of Independence, okay. So we know, we can say, yes, we know it because we, we have copies of it. The more copies that you have, the more variants you're going to have. Same thing is true with the Declaration of Independence. All the way to the point... Uh, the, the upside for the Declaration of Independence is in around the 1500s, there was an invention. You know what it was? Printing press. Oh, now you didn't have to count on being able to read my writing. Right? Okay. So this is a long introduction. Don't worry, we're getting there. Okay, so, so I just want you to be able to comprehend what's going on. So, <clears throat> here's, here's the rub. There are 5,700 extant, which means existing, New Testament documents ranging from the year roughly 100 AD to the printing press. 5,700 copies. The average amount of pages per copy is 350 pages. So you do the math and you have roughly 2 million pages of script that is our proof text for the New Testament. That's a lot, right? There's a lot out there. So I have 2 million pages of Greek manuscripts that we can look at and that we can go through. 2 million pages. On those 2 million pages, there are Somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 variants. Does that help you get it into a little better focus? You might say, well, I don't know. What's that, what's that mean in terms of books? Well, some books have more variants than others. For example, the book of Hebrews has almost none. Completely, totally pure. The book of Revelation, I think, has the most. Not so shocking, if you think about it. So these variants, when we look at them, they, they may fill you with dread. Oh, no, there's variants. So the Juggie Sanders, there's variants. So all those things that people say that the Bible's corrupted, it's really corrupted. No. You know why it's not corrupted? Because there are two million Pages of evidence. One of the things that we see when we look at the pages of scripture. Is a concept in textual criticism called the tenacity of the text. The tenacity of the text means that the copiers, the guys who were copying it. Even if they knew something was a mistake. They kept it in the text. They didn't take anything out. So what happens is, we can sit down and work our way through the text. And we can see, it's incredible, you can see, you look at the text and you can see, oh, perfect, 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 oh, look, oh, something happened here. Something happened. Sometimes they call it a homeoteleaton. What, what, you, aren't you glad you don't have to spell these things? Homeoteleton means same endings. You ever been writing? Oh, you guys don't know what this is like. Well, some of you guys as old as me. How do we used to have to write term papers? Did you ever write it? I never got to write a term paper on a computer. There was no such thing as copy and paste. Oh, oh, oh look, copy this section. Look, I copied 10 pages, pasted it, poof, I wrote my paper. No, it wasn't like that. Uh, at the best, I had to write it out by hand and then type it on a dumb typewriter, which looks a lot like a computer keyboard for the kids who have never seen a typewriter before. Oh, maybe you've seen typewriters. Now, <clears throat> when I was in Bible college, they got a typewriter that came out that had a little bitty screen on it. Little, tiny, smaller than any of your phones. Little bitty screen. And it would save your stuff. So you could type it all in. And then you could hit 
print, and it would print all the pages out at once. And I thought, that's such a great plan. So I had a 10-page paper due. I got little kids running all over the room, sitting at the table. I got this typewriter in front of me, and I'm writing. And I get to the 10th page, and I'm done. It's finished. It's over. And my son, Cole, comes running past the table and trips over the cord. <laughs> and then it unplugs it. Now you're saying, well, did you save it? There's no save on a typewriter. In that instant, all I did is I looked at Cole and I said, Cole, run. <laughs> just, just run. Run. Yeah. Yeah. Because I hadn't, that was the first paper I didn't write out first. I just did it all off my head. So when it went, poof. Now, nowadays I would say, well, God didn't think it was very good. No, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But back in the days when we're copying the text, how are we doing it? With pen and paper. Do you, you think we have fluorescent lighting and we got fancy rooms to do this in? What's going on in the first several centuries of the church? What are they doing to the Christians? Well, if they're killing you if you're a Christian. So, so you're not standing outside in the best light saying, Hey, what are you doing today, Bob? I'm copying the Bible. No, you didn't do that. What'd you do? You went down, you got your little candle set out, and you copied it. It's not, it's not surprising that there are times when a homeoteleton happens. What's that mean? While he's copying, he moves from a word that ends in ing, and he skips a line and goes to another word that's, that ends in ing, and he starts copying from there. You can, you've probably done that before. If you've had to write papers like the old days, there was no control C. That didn't exist. You actually had to write it out. You remember? But you might catch it when you went back to look at it, right? And you go, oh, <laughs> some of those are the variables that we're talking about. And they're not hard to find. They're really easy to see. Because we look at the scripture and we go, look, we see this word ended in this, and he, and he skipped this line. But this text, how many do we have? Two million pages, right? So I look in the other pages and I go, oh, yep, woof, look there. I can see where he just jumped from that ending to that ending. Is the problem solved? Yeah, is that variable over? Yep, poof, we can draw a line through that variable. Don't have to worry about that variable because we can see, because we have so many texts. We can see what really happened. That's the truth. That's real. So because of textual criticism, there are things that are going to challenge our presuppositions about what's in the Bible and what's not. Remember I told you there's three sections. We'll take the other two when we get there. But we're at one right now. And if you have a Bible... <clears throat> Your Bible tells you the same thing, doesn't it? It's not in the oldest manuscripts. What does that mean? That means when we compare the Bible and we lay out the two million manuscripts, they can see Mark used to end at verse 8. And now I look up here several hundred years later, and there's 9 through 20. And they begin to try to figure out well, what happened. Well, if you end Mark at verse 8, you would say, what in the world would you end it there for? And so the scribes looking through and saying, well, why would you end it here? They decide to harmonize. Harmonizing means taking what the other gospels say, blend it together, write a new ending. Problem is, it's not hard to find. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not hard to find. What it may offend is your tradition. But it's not hard to see. So when people come and they say, well then, that proves my point. Jack, I said the Bible was corrupt. I would say, no it's not, because I can see them all. Corrupt would mean I don't know what's real, and I don't know what's, what's there and what's not there. That's not corrupt. I can show you. Do you know that all those texts, even if you can't read Greek, all those texts, you know they're symbols? <clears throat> all of them have been photographed, and they're available on the internet. So you can, you can look at them. Man, hundreds and hundreds of years old. 
Well, 100, the earliest one is from the 100s. That's a long time ago, right? So, you can look at a picture. You can look at it and see, even if you don't know what it says. Just match the letters up. But if you know what it says, it's so much easier to just follow through the text and see exactly what's going on. Because of the tenacity of the text, because, you guys have all played telephone, right? That's sometimes how people think of the transmission of the text of the Bible. One person told another person, told another person, told another person, and then, oops, somebody made a mistake. Further down the line, it changes. You guys have seen that? Okay, wipe that from your mind. That's not how the Bible was transmitted. The Bible was transmitted sideways. Not in a line over time. It was somewhat. But what happened? Paul writes a letter. It goes to Ephesus. And people read it at Ephesus. Somebody's visiting from Colossae. They're saying, man, Paul just wrote us a letter. And, and, and no, you can't have it. But if you make a copy of it, you can take it. So a bunch of guys after church, they get together and they say, man, I want to copy that. They sit down and they copy it out and they take it to their church. And they, somebody else copies it. It goes wide. So you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies at the same period of time. Not just one. It goes wide. So because of the tenacity of the text, because they don't, when they make a mistake, here's how we, one of the reasons we know Mark 16, 9 through 20 is added. And don't worry, we're going to get to the text in a minute. I know. But I, I just want to hope you grab, you, you hold on to what I'm saying. <laughs> one of the reasons we know is we go to the oldest text. Codex Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus. Those are Codex Oh, I'm going to get them confused in my head now. One of them is the whole New Testament. One of them is the whole Bible. I'm not talking about a stamp-sized text somewhere. Okay? Whole New Testament, whole Bible. Oldest text that we have. It's not there. In the other texts, there are some very old texts that do have it. But next to those texts, the writer would put an asterisk next to verse 9 through 20. Like marking it in brackets. Why was the writer doing that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Jerome, Tertullian, some of the early church fathers said, they've seen this, but they're not sure it's something Mark wrote. So they marked it. But did they scratch it out and throw it out of the text? So it's still there. So is the original writing still there? Are all the original things that were penned still there? According to the textual evidence... They're all still there. We can point to the things that were mistakes. Are you with me? There was never a church council that had control over the word of God. You can't say that for Islam. Under the third caliphate, you had a guy named Uthman. Uthman was frustrated that the the Quran had all these textual variants. So he said, you know what? Give them all to me. And so he collected all the books... He brought them together, he made one Quran, he burned all the rest, and now they have one. And so when you talk to somebody who's Muslim, they'll say, there are no textual variants in ours. Yeah, brother, we didn't burn all ours. We're being out front and open, we're telling the truth. Who's the truth? Isn't Jesus the truth? We've got to be afraid of the truth? So, we don't have to be afraid of the truth. You know, the problem is, Uthman missed two. And we got them. So you can see the variations. Because that's just a matter of reality. There is no ancient text anywhere without variation. Without variance. But the good news is, because there are so many for the Bible, we know them all. And in your Bible, you'll have a note. And it'll say, some use this word, some use that word. Some has this phrase, some use this phrase. But Mark chapter 16 happens to be a big one, right? Happens to be a big section. Well, Jackie, I don't know, I don't know if I like what you're telling me. I don't know if I like what you're saying. I just want you to understand, the text wasn't changed. The scribes tried to harmonize. And because we have so many texts, they couldn't do it without us seeing it. So we got it. 
We see it. The note is in your Bible. Now you might not like it. There's a lot of people who don't like it. They call, they're called King James only people. You might have some here today. King James only people say it. We only use the King James. King James is perfect. And so all those other Bibles are from bad people. And if you use the King James, you got the right text. So, so what happened prior to 1611? Yeah, everybody, all them people are hung. But from 1611 on, we got it right? Come on, we know better than that. We shouldn't be afraid to go to the text. What does the text say? And then we shouldn't be afraid to say, this is why, this is what happened. Take it and be armed with the truth. And don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. So, now we're going to look at the text. Okay, Mark. I want you to hold your Bibles. Go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And I want you to consider with me, why is Mark writing this gospel? Mark 1.1. Why is Mark writing this gospel? Same reason Jesus wrote, or John wrote his. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what's the next phrase? The Son of God. So he's saying, look, this gospel is to prove to you, to show you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now I want you to look at the last chapter. Well, the chapter before last. uh, Mark 15, verse 39. We read this section of scripture when we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So his purpose is to show to you. Who's his target audience? Mark's target audience are the Romans. He writes this from Rome. He's writing to Romans. Do you ever wonder why he maybe had the one human who would stand up and declare that Jesus is the Son of God be a Roman centurion? You wonder why he would point to that? I mean, there were other people who did it, we know from the other Gospels, but Mark focuses on a Roman. Why? Because he's writing to Romans. He wants them to hear the words from a Roman. So he says in Mark chapter 15, as the, in verse 39, so when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. What's his purpose? To declare to you that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, in Mark 15, 39, he declared that. Jesus is the Son of God. Man, we can hold fast. This is his purpose. So, what's the problem with the ending? Here's, here's some of the, the more of the truth. There are three... Endings of Mark. There's really more, but the other ones are so spurious, we don't worry about them. Some of your Bibles will have them all. There's one called the short ending. There's one called the long ending. And then there's the real ending, which is, verse 8 is the end. So, we have the long ending, the short ending, and the real ending. And we look at those three Things we come to why 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 was this done why would they add something why would they put something in the text why would this go on will you remember what verse eight said <coughs> Mark sixteen verse eight so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid abrupt end now you read that don't you want to put something else on it. Well, there's more stuff that happened, wasn't there? Is there more stuff in Matthew? Is there more stuff in Luke? Is there more stuff in John? Sure. So, there's more stuff. We come to that end, and, and there were people who said, you know, that we can't let it end like that. They missed the purpose and the point and the reason for which it was written. They missed the purpose and the point and the reason for which it is written, and they thought they could do a better job than what the Word of God said. But fortunately, because we have so many copies, we can see it. We can look down through time and say, what in the world? Who just put that in there? Do you understand what I'm saying? So I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's reliable because I can see it if they try to change it. I can see it if they make adjustments. I can look down through the ages and see it. So here's some of the reasons. Some people say, so Marcus right and he gets to verse 8 and then he died. Because if he didn't die, surely he wouldn't have stopped it like that. Well, that's possible. You know, some people put the Gospel of Mark being written around 40 AD. That's the earliest that I know of. (laughs) Most people see it around 60s, which puts it at the time of Nero. 
Paul lost his head to Nero. Some people, Mark wrote from the same place, from Rome. It's not totally inconceivable that Mark could have died. So that's the end. So some people say that's what happened. Mark just died and, and, and that was the end. But, but I don't know. I don't know if I can buy that. Other people say, well, listen, we know that Mark was probably making a, a rhetorical, using this as a rhetorical device to challenge people to, to finish the gospel himself. Well, that works great in the 21st century where people actually do that. But in 40 AD, people were not doing that. So, right, when we interpret Scripture, are we supposed to put into it from the 21st century? Or are we supposed to understand it from those who wrote it? What they meant. Wasn't that kind of important? Can we know what Mark's intention was? Anybody know Mark personally? Anybody spend any time with him? Okay, so we can't know his intention. <clears throat> so I don't think we should speculate as to that and use that to answer the question about the end of the Gospel of Mark. Okay, well let's look. What else? We also know that verses 9 through 20 are listed in multiple places in the Bible. I'm not telling you that verse 9 through 20 are untrue. I'm just saying Mark didn't write them. Did you hear me? I'm not saying verses 9 through 20 are untrue. I'm saying Mark didn't write them. And when we look at it, just follow me as we, as we take a look at the, at the verses and how they line out. Let's look at it. Verse 9 is taken from Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Verse 10 is taken from John 20, 18. Verse 12 is taken from Luke 24, 13 through 32. Verse 13 is also taken from Luke 24. Verse 14 comes from Luke 24, 36 to 38. Verse 15 comes from Matthew 28, 19. For crying out loud, we've heard that one before, right? Go to all the world and preach the gospel, right? Verse 16 is taken from John 20, 23. Verse 17 and 18 are drawn from multiple sources. Um, all the way from the giving of authority by Jesus when he sent out the twelve. Jesus said, I give you authority to do what? Cast out demons. Heal the sick. So he sent them out. Jesus gave them authority and they accomplished that purpose when, the, when they all went out. It's also taken from various places in the book of Acts. Right? Tongues doesn't freak us out, right? We see tongues all throughout the book of Acts. Okay? So, so we look at it we see most... Of what we're looking at in Mark 9 through 20, we see. But there's a couple of things that are a little weird, isn't there? If we're honest, there's not a couple of weird things in there for you guys? That says that you can handle snakes, poisonous snakes. Now we know that happened, right? Who that happened to? Paul. It happened to anybody in here? It said these signs will follow believers. So there's a group in the Appalachian Mountains who take that text, right? And they go, oh wait guys, I got a bag. Where's that bag at? And they take the bag and they pass it around. Well, we want to know if you're really a believer. You say you're a believer, put your hand in here. If a snake bites you and you die, you're lying. How many of you guys put your hand in the bag? Let's just be honest. There's another section that talks about you can drink poison and nothing will happen to you. I have seen multiple debates, especially with um, imams, Islamic people, who have set out a cup of poison on the table and said, Mark 16 says you can drink poison and it won't kill you. There's the poison. Do you have an answer for that or are you drinking the poison? Or are you able to say, look, man, we know that those things weren't how Mark ended the gospel. We know that Mark ended the gospel at verse 8. My Bible has a footnote, and so does the one you're using to read that out of. We're not trying to lie to you and tell you anything that's not there. We're telling you the truth. We're saying to you, look, you can see it. We can see it. It's not there. It's not there. But we know that many of them were taken from the gospel as we work our way through. So I just want you to think with me as we look at it. 
Verse 9 lacks the continuity with the rest of the Gospel of Mark. It stops with the women being afraid and astonished, and then it jumps to Mary Magdalene and introduces her to us. Okay, what's the problem with that? Well, Mary Magdalene's already been introduced in the Gospel of Mark three times. Why in the last chapter would he say another introduction? Well, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have. That seems a little weird. And remember the message that that the people, that the angels told the women? Go tell the disciples and who? Peter, Peter, right? Go tell the disciples and Peter. But there's no mention of Peter in in the last 12 verses. There's no mention of that being concluded. The struggle, folks, the struggle is we want to be able to harmonize. We want to be able to make sense. We want to be able to understand. So somewhere along the line, there was a scribe who decided he could do a better ending. And he wrote a collage. And he put a bunch of verses together and he put it at the end. And thank God we have two million pages of text so that we can look and see what's real. And what's true. Ah, I don't really like hearing this. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh, is mind in there? You think we ought to use it? Yeah, we want to use our mind. We want to love the Lord with all our mind. That means we might have to do a little more. A little more study. A little more reading. A little more understanding so that we can grapple with it all. I could have just told you guys, here's what it says. And everybody would have been happy. But I got to give account to God. I got to stand before God and say, Jackie, did you not know that that wasn't there? Oh yeah, I knew it. Why didn't you tell him? Well, they'd get mad and upset and irritated. That's not, I'm not that kind of preacher. So, but I don't want to just leave you with that because you're going to go, wow, I don't know about that church. (laughs) I don't blame you. But I, I want you to, I want you to see, I want you to see that Mark ends just exactly how he wanted it to end. And that it all fits together. But sometimes when we read the Bible, here's the challenge, guys. When we read the Bible, we get it with a microscope out, and we, we're good about looking at one word or one verse or one phrase. If you've been here at any time, you've seen me preach whole message on one word, huh? Yeah. You think, if we're going to do the whole book like this, we're gonna, it's going to take us forever. <laughs> we're good at doing that part, but we also got to back up and see the book as a whole. So we can see how it all fits together as one literary work. One literary work brought together. So that's what I want to do for us as we take a look at the, the message of the Gospel of Mark. Remember I told you there was a purpose, right? Was going to declare Jesus as the Son of God. He says that at the beginning, he says it at the end. It's written to the Romans. It's a Roman centurion who declares it toward the end of the book. So we see that Mark is bringing about its climax. But there's another thing that we see throughout the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16, verse 8. It says, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, astonished, blown away, their brains melting. When's the last time you've seen a guy raised from the dead? Why do we want to come through and, and, uh, and sanitize the text and say, well, yes, you know, they had halos around their head and... No, what the Bible's saying is when Jesus rose from the dead, they were freaking out. They're like, it's blown their minds, have utterly exploded. And so they leave that place kind of freaked out, thinking, man, that's crazy. I don't want to tell nobody. They're going to think I'm nuts. Now we know they did, don't we? Yeah, Bible tells, we got three other gospels that lay out for us the rest of the story what is mark's point though what is mark's point when he comes to this point and wants to end well, let's take a journey all the way through okay i want you to get a, a bird's eye view of the of the gospel of mark so we're going to go all the way back chapter one look at chapter one verse 22 chapter one verse 22 all you got to do is turn to the left in your bible if you got an ipad you just push that little arrow or swip your finger across like that and the pages move. 
Okay, Mark 1.22. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one having authority and not like the scribes. So Jesus was teaching and when they read his teaching, what did they do? They were blown away. Man, nobody talks like this guy. That's the point Mark's trying to get to you. Nobody talks like this guy. Nobody gave teachings like this guy. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 1. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What happened? Man possessed. Jesus cast out the demon. And what happened to the people? Blown away. Man, I've never seen that. Have you? They're, they're, they're blown away. Mind is melting. Their world is radically being transformed. Why? Because of something that Jesus did. Something that Jesus did said, man, this is, <clears throat> this is amazing. And they were all amazed, astonished. We're looking at same word, same phrasing. Mark 2, 12. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So this is the, the healing of the paralytic. Jesus heals the paralytic. The, the, he gets up, he walks outside, and people are what? Amazed, blown away, astonished. Their minds are blown. Why? Because they've never seen anything like that before. You've got to get yourself into the text and realize, man, look what's going on. Look what is really happening. Look what God is really doing. Man, we never saw something like this. Mark 4, <coughs> 41. I better take this. I ain't going to make it. Okay. Mark four forty one, And they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, Who can this be? That even the wind and the sea... Obey him. What's happening? They're blown away. They're blown away. What's the Greek word? Phobio. It's translated fear, astonishment, amazed. Why? Because Jesus calmed the sea. You ever seen somebody do that? The waves, wind. I'd have liked to have done it the other day, just yesterday. I put a bunch of stuff in the truck that I need to take back to Costco. Went into the house, sat down to wait for Kathy. Next thing I know, it's covered by six inches of snow, hail, and frozen rain. I'd have liked to have been able to run out and say, whoa, 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 stop. I got a cardboard box in the back of my truck right now. But I didn't. I knew better. I went and got a tarp. Wiped off the snow, took it back to Costco, fell, broke my neck three times trying to get it there. But anyways, that's, that's a totally different story. It didn't have anything to do with this. <clears throat> so, astonished, amazed, blown away. Jesus said, peace be still, the storm stopped. And they were, they feared exceedingly and said, who can this be? Mark 5, 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed. And had legion. So which guy are we talking about? Remember the guy who said, I am legion for we are many? Sitting and clothed in his right mind. And what happened to them? And they were afraid. They were afraid. Why? Because i never seen anything like that before. What point is Mark making? I mean, you spend time following Jesus and you were blown away by what he was doing. By what he was accomplishing. By the things he was saying. You were blown away. You were afraid. You were astonished. Mark 5.33 But the women, fearing and trembling, and knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The woman. Who's this woman? Well, she had an issue of blood. Remember? Jesus said, who touched me? You guys with me? Who touched me? Who touched me? Well, they knew, oh, no, I touched him. I was me, Lord, I touched you. They were afraid and astonished. Why? Because something had happened they had never imagined possible. 
had just enough faith to reach out for the hem of the garment. Look at the next. We have, we have a, a, a Tabitha next, right? Verse 42. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. Blown away. Oh my gosh, you see what Jesus did? He went over to the girl was dead. We know she was dead. We even told him, don't bother, Lord, she's dead. And he said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And he walked in and he reached over and he touched her hand and he said, Talitha Kumi, my little child, arise. And she got up. And they were blown away. Their brains were melting. They were astonished at what God did. What is the purpose? Why is Mark telling us these things? He wants us to know that Jesus was the Son of God. Do we get the point? This is what he's telling us. This is what he's laying out for us. Mark 6.51 Then he went up into the boat to them. And the wind ceased. This is when Jesus was walking on the water. Another whole storm stopping thing, right? The wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marveled. Well, how would you describe their, their brains melting and they're blown away? How would you say it? Different? I don't know. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. It's a pretty strong language, isn't it? What's he saying? Man... Spending time around Jesus and seeing the things that he did will blow your mind. You will be amazed and you will marvel. Mark, that's his purpose, right? As he's writing, as he's laying these things out for us. <clears throat> Mark 9, 6. And because they did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. They were greatly afraid. Why? Watching what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 15 of Mark 9. <coughs> Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, running to him and greeting him. So all they know is they're freaking out, but Jesus, every time he comes, man, amazing thing happens. Good, amazing, incredible things. They want to be with him. What's Mark's purpose? I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And when he did something, people were blown away and a bit freaked out. He goes on, Mark 9, 32. But they did not understand this saying. Who's he talking about? The disciples. What is it? Jesus just told them he's going to die, be buried, and rise again. And they say, well, we, they didn't understand what he was saying. And they were what? Afraid to ask. They were a little freaked out. Man, what do you mean you're going to die, be buried, and rise again? Kind of freaks me out. I don't, don't tell me that. Mark 10, 24, and the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who enter the kingdom of God. And when we, when we talk about textual criticism, side note. There's a verse, you guys have heard it, it's in, it's in Mark chapter 10, <coughs> verse 25 <coughs> through 27. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You guys have heard that before, right? There's a textual variant that says cord instead of camel. People go, oh, there's that textual variant stuff again, oh, it kind of freaks me out. Which one's real? Well, I don't know. Let's think a little bit. Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. Is it possible for you to put a piece of thread through a needle? Some of you do it pretty frequently, don't you? Is it possible for you to put a camel through it? Nope, can't do that. Which one do you think it was? Context demands camel. It's a camel. Not a piece of thread, not a piece of string. It's a camel. Jesus said it's impossible. Sometimes you hear Bible teachers say, well, there's a door in Jerusalem that's really tiny and small, and if you wanted to get a camel through it, he had to get down on his knees, and he had to take all of his burden off his back, and he could crawl through. Is that the purpose of the text? No, that's a man saying, well, man is able to take care of himself. Bunk. 
Man's not able to take care of himself. God's got to take care of you. With man, it's impossible. With God, how many things are possible? All things are possible. All things. Was that hard to figure out? Do we got to be afraid of it? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's what they want you to be out there, afraid. They want to come yell at you and say, it's corrupt and it's no good and this is why. And you just say, dude, I know that. And because I have so many copies, I know it ain't corrupt. I can tell you what was the truth. That's what I'm doing today, isn't it? Not complicated. It's not. Well, let's keep working our way through. <clears throat> uh, Mark 10, 32. Uh, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Oh, there's both the words in there. They're amazed, blown away, mind melted. Jesus is telling them again that he's going to go die, be buried and raised again. So they're amazed, blown away. They're totally tripping on what he's saying. And on top of it all, they're afraid. You wouldn't be. You spent three years following Jesus around and he's telling you they're going to take me, beat me, kill me. You wouldn't be a little afraid? Maybe you'd have a hard time hearing the part where he said, and I'm going to rise again. They were amazed. They were afraid. Look at verse, uh, Mark 11, verse 18. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. They're afraid and amazed. Amazed and afraid. How many verses I got to pull out of Mark before you realize this is Mark's way? This is, what Mark, this is Mark's point. Well, don't worry, I have more. Mark 12, 17. Jesus answered and said to them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Remember that? And they marveled. In a Greek... Their brains melted, they're blown away. Astounded, astonished, amazed at what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Mark 15, 5. But Jesus answered nothing before Pilate. And what's it say about Pilate? So that Pilate marveled, blown away, never seen nothing like this. Pilate killed a lot of people. But he never seen anybody like Jesus. Nobody. He's marveled. He's blown away. <clears throat> Mark 16, 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Same phrase. Blown away. They're, they're thinking to themselves, they walk in, and they're, they're, Jesus is not here. He's not here. They're astonished. They're blown away. Their minds are melted. He's He's risen. They're a little bit freaked out. Let's give them a break, huh? I know, we'd have all done it right, right? We, we wouldn't have acted like the other 66 books of the Bible say mankind acts. We wouldn't have freaked out. We'd have just went and got our box and set it up, start pre street preaching right there in the, in, the, in the grave to everybody who walked by. Because we do that all the time, right? I think we'd have been a little freaked out. I think we might have been blown away. I think we might have been blown away. Now let's look at verse 8 again. So they went out quickly and fled the tomb, for they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Why do I do all this? Because I want you to realize that was Mark's point. He established what he had written for. And when we think as men, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later... That we can do it better. We make the same mistakes somebody made all those years ago. And we start adding stuff in. Now, does that mean Mary Magdalene didn't have seven, seven demons? No, if you looked at that verse I gave you in the Gospel of Luke, it already tells us that. We know those things are true. That's not the question. Can we be honest with what the Bible does say? Can we be honest about the reality about what it lays out? Look, the first time Murd Ashton told me this stuff, I was greatly amazed. And I freaked out. And I stood in that class and I said, Murt, you're a heretic. How they let you teach here? Yeah, Murt Ashton, he had boys, but they were little then. They weren't so big. Now they're big. And so, so I argued with him 
I don't think for the next three classes, and it was a three-hour class, so that's nine hours, he could not get to anything without me coming in there and going, Mert, you better explain to me how that works, because I'm not okay with that. Nobody ever told me that before. Why not? Let me tell you something. You go home, and you open up a commentary, and I guarantee what I just told you is in it. Why don't nobody say it? Because they're a bunch of chickens. They don't want to stand up and just be... This is the truth. Don't hide from the truth. Just tell the truth. But because we don't tell the truth, what happens? Our kids go to college. They go to college, what happens? They got a teacher like, like Metzger. Or, or not Metzger, actually. Metzger's good. Like Bart Ehrman. They get in Bart Ehrman's class. And Bart Ehrman says, it's all fabricated. It's all myth. And none of this stuff is really there. And he shows them. But you never told them. So what do they do? Man, I knew that stuff was a bunch of bunk. Look, tell the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. Mark intended to end at verse 8. We know he intended to end at verse 8. Because I can look in the text and see when it got added. And it's been around since I was a kid. But not very many people talk about it. Because it upsets our apple cart. But you know one of the first things Jesus did when he came into the temple? He upset everybody's apple cart. He threw things over because the things they were doing and the way they were doing it wasn't truthful. Don't be afraid of the truth. If it freaks you out, I'm sorry and I'm available and I can take more time. It took me nine hours with Mert Ashton and I still wasn't okay if I'm honest. It probably took me longer than that to work it all out. But I just want you to know, I'm telling you the truth. You check it out. And don't be afraid. It doesn't mean that we don't know what we have. It actually means the opposite. I absolutely know this is true beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because if there's anything in here that's not true, it shines like a beacon in the darkness. Why does it do that? Because God said, you're not going to mess with my word. You're not going to twist it up and jack it up. I'm going to make sure there's enough copies. So if you do that, my people who know my voice will see it. And you're not going to get anything over on them. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Don't be afraid. This is Mark's pattern. It is Mark's point. He wants to blow people away by the stunning news that Jesus is risen from the dead. And he does it the exact same way he did it through the whole book. He intended to stop there. And we shouldn't try to change what he did. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that we can actually come together and study the word. Open the word. To know, God, that your word declares to us the truth. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried. Because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt what your word declares. With a little work, we can know more. We can understand deeper. We can grapple with the the truly incredible things about who you are and what you've done. Because you gave us your word and you said, I promise you this, not one jot, not one tittle will escape, will disappear, will fall out. And that's exactly what the text bears. Nothing falls out it's all there and we can see it and we don't have to be afraid of it i pray that we would just hold fast to the truth that your word is utterly and completely reliable we don't lord god we don't have to be afraid of what we don't know or what we do because your word declares you'll teach us you'll guide us you'll lead us your holy spirit is with us 
God, I pray that we would hold fast to that which is true. And we let go of that which is not. And be okay. God, that we understand and know beyond a shadow of a doubt what we know. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He grew up in a middle and no place. He's taught things and did things no man has ever done ever in the history of mankind. He declared himself to be God in the flesh and was crucified for it. He died for our sins and was raised for our justification. So that we can be made just as if we'd never done it. He is working in and through us towards sanctification and accomplishing one day glorification when we see Him face to face. It's irrefutable. God, I pray that we would hold fast, Lord Jesus, and know you are exactly who you declare yourself to be. God, I pray that you would move in this place and draw hearts and minds towards you. I pray that a hunger would be ignited, that there wouldn't be a famine for the word of God, but a hunger to say, I want to know this. I want to understand it. Just like I understand the other things in my life that are important to me. God, I pray you be glorified and magnified in this place. And God, that you would move in and through us to affect our world with the truth. And that the truth will set us free. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.